The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. A lot of information and knowledge uh, on what this impact would look like. Uh, We're looking forward to that. Uh, We also have a public hearing taking place at 1035. So remember, Vice Chair, let's try to get through some of these items before 1025, if you don't mind. It's a motion to uh, discuss line items 7.1, 7.2, and 7.4. So moved, Mr. Chair. Thank you, sir. Uh, there, we did have an opportunity to speak to uh, Council President's office regarding uh, these three items. I know that she had some questions, some remaining questions. Um, they have since been responded, and we were told that they, uh, her office is okay with moving forward with this, uh, partic- these particular uh, items. Uh, is there a motion for line items 7.1, 7.2, and 7.4, please? Yes, Mr. Chair, I move that we take line items 7.1, 7.2, and 7.4 and send a formal with a recommendation to approve. As a motion to send line items 7.1, 7.2, and 7.4 to formal with a recommendation to approve. Seeing no objections, those actions shall be taken. Skip to line item 7.2. Uh, one, uh, status of contract and procurement, uh, contract number 6004051, 100% ARPA funding. Uh, this is to provide an extension in time only for attorneys uh, to serve the Detroit la- Landlord uh, Legal Council. Is there a motion to, I'm sorry, I meant in line item 7.3. Going too fast here, slow down, tape. Move to discuss line item 7.3, uh, Mr. Chair. Thank you, sir. Motion to, uh, can we also get a uh, motion to discuss line item 7.3 as well as, uh, you know what, I think that's going to take us into a major discussion just because of the tiny homes conversation, and we are at the 1025 hour, so let's get into that discussion, if you don't mind, Member Vice Chair. I withdraw my motion, Mr. Chair. Thank you, sir. Uh, the motion shall be withdrawn. So let's get to the 1025 discussion with the parties who are participating. Please queue up. The 1025 public 1025 discussion is regarding the fiscal impact of the exclusion of the Detroit Public Schools and Detroit Public Library from tax abatements and tax captures. Now this has been uh, an, an episodic. We've been talking about this for quite some time, and uh, I want to thank all those individuals who have provided information, provided uh, advocacy as well, and uh, thank them for their patience as the report was being drafted. Uh, the report, and when I say the report, the one that we were really waiting for, this 10-year uh, review, and I've got to say, uh, Member Vice Chair, you know, you, we all have, like, favorite meals, and you go to one restaurant, it tastes one way, you go another, it tastes another, same ingredients. Typically, that's because there's no love in it. There was a lot of love, a lot of uh, care in this particular uh, document that LPD put together. So I just want to uh, commend LPD for uh, the detail, the uh, analysis, as well as, I mean, it may have taken us a while to get it, but even the speed upon which they got this document to us. So I, again, want to give a big shout out to um, LPD for their work on this particular document. It's a guiding uh, document for us at this point. All right, so we are now about to jump into the discussion, and the way that we're going to do this, we're going to allow LPD to discuss 
uh, briefly that particular document I'm, I, I just mentioned, the 10-year uh, uh, review of DPL. Um, and then we're going to allow uh, LPD to briefly discuss the resolution that is before us that will potentially uh, remove Detroit Public Library as well as Detroit Public Schools from a tax, tax captures uh, for tax abatement uh, within the city of Detroit. Uh, following LPD, we will have a representative from the Detroit Public Library. Now, that one representative, didn't, the first representative will be Mr. Russ Ballant, who is no longer on the commission, uh, but he, ha he, I think your term is, you were termed out in uh, December of 22. So uh, it's just right around the corner, and he is, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, been the uh, individual that has led us to the point today where we are having this discussion. So again, thank you, Mr. Ballant, for being uh, an advocate uh, to ensure that we're doing the best that we can for the residents of the city of Detroit. We really appreciate that. We also have someone from the library, uh, Detroit Public Library, to provide additional comment on the position that they uh, may or may not have on this particular resolution that is before us. Following that, we will have representatives from Detroit Public Schools uh, Community District. Uh, we'll be joined by the school board uh, president, uh, Mayberry, as well as school board member, Sherry Gay-Danyogo, uh, will be speaking. Uh, following that, we will have individuals from the administration and the DEGC uh, to give their perspective on the resolution. Uh, we will allow... Uh, anyone who has not had an opportunity, who's a, a presenter, to give a couple of remarks, brief remarks, uh, and then we will go to Q&A with committee members. So just wanted to outline that, let folks know what the uh, intent is, uh, and we, we're, we're, I'm asking everyone to please be tight with your responses, stay on point, because we, again, have a very aggressive agenda. All right, we're going to open the floor first to, uh, for those who are participating, please Introduce yourself for the record. Uh, good morning, Mr. Chair. Uh, Irv Corley from the Legislative Policy Division. Morning, sir. Uh, good morning, Mr. Chair. Derek Head, LPD. Good morning. I see Luke. Good morning, Mr. Chair uh, and Honorable Committee. Luke Polson, Deputy Group Executive for Jobs and Economy in the Mayor's Office. Thanks for the invitation to appear. Absolutely. Good morning. Next. Good morning, Kenyatta Bridges with the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Uh, good morning, Rebecca Navin with the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation. Good morning. Mr. Chair, good morning. John Nagla, Chief Deputy CFO, Finance Director and Interim Treasurer for the City of Detroit and also the DDA Treasurer and Chair of the Finance Committee. Good morning. Who else do we have join us? We have a number of participants, so uh, folks, please be patient with us. And to the pres pres presenters, if you can please raise your hand, uh, it will give our, our team an opportunity to find you in the Zoom. If you can raise your hand. So we want to make sure we pull you over. So as we uh, wait for the additional members 
uh, presenters to uh, raise their hand and be uh, moved over to the presentation. Uh, we're going to allow LPD uh, to uh, briefly again discuss the uh, highlights, uh, if you will, um, important points of the 10-year review. Uh, and then LPD, if you can go into the resolution and uh, briefly explain what is being uh, requested, what that resolution uh, is would do. The floor is yours, LPD. Uh, thank you, um, Mr. Chair. And again, uh, good morning to uh, Mr. Chair and the uh, committee members and to the citizens. Um, I would like to briefly go over the PowerPoint associated with the uh, Detroit Public Library 10-year review. Um, and um, hopefully uh, Mr. Head could speak to the resolution uh, regarding this issue. And so um, just to quickly go over the uh, presentation, um, I want to at first acknowledge um, Renee Short and LPD as well as Mr. Head in helping me to put together this comprehensive report on the Detroit Public Library and a financial um, review of it. Uh, this was commissioned by uh, Council Member um, Benson, excuse me, and uh, based on his uh, request, we felt it was important to provide um, a detailed history as much as we could on the public library. Um, here. Okay, just got to, uh, hold on, just got to advance my screen here. So the Detroit Public Library is a very important educational and social institution for the city of Detroit uh, for almost 160 years. And they have provided essential library services to library patrons and citizens to the best of its ability with limited resources. However, the Detroit Public Library does need help, financial help. And passing the renewal of the library millage in 2026 is one key step in assisting the library financially. And we, in our, our research, uh, found that public libraries are still very important in this country. And uh, of course, in the city of Detroit, the public library has provided um, a host of, of, of services for the citizens, again, on limited resources. And when I say limited resources, what I mean is that the library's total budget is around 30 to $35 million. And the lion's share of that budget comes from its library millage. It's 4.63 library millage, which generates about $30 million in net property tax revenue. So that's about 90 to 92% of its overall revenue sources. And unfortunately, um, at least for the library, before the, before, um, the, um, the DDA 
and other TIFA organizations or authorization um, through state law came into being, there were no cap tax captures. The library was able to keep all of its revenue from its millage. Starting in uh, 1975, 76, um, the Downtown Development Authority came to existence. And it's for a very important um, reason why the DDA is in existence. And so without question, the DDA has provided many uh, well you know, needed um, development projects in the downtown area. And then in 1981, the Brownfield Redevelopment uh, Authority Act came into being, which also can capture property tax revenue from the library. And again, the Brownfield Redevelopment Authority legislation has enabled the city to address um, brownfields throughout the city of Detroit for economic development. So those are very important tools, no question, for the city. But because of those legislations, the library no longer is able to capture those revenues that are taken away by the Brownfield Redevelopment Authority and the DDA. And we had in our report that those tax captures uh, started out to be maybe around a couple of million dollars and they're projected to be um, about $4.5 million by 2027. And what's um, difficult for the library then, because their revenue sources are so um, tied to the property tax revenue, that's, that's revenue that is not growing. Actually, it's, it's pretty stagnant in growth that we found over the 10 year period. Um, so because of that, the library is limited in what it can do to provide services from the main library and from its branches. Now, prior to COVID, the library had the main library and about 22 branches, as well as the mobile library. When COVID hit, they had to shut down the entire library um, um, system, just like libraries throughout the country. Um, but giving credit to the library, they reopened on a limited basis, the main library, the mobile library, and um, six or seven, I think seven branches. Um, and so coming out of that, now that the pandemic you know, it's fairly under control. Still have problems, of course, but it's fairly under control. Um, the library has been able to reopen, excuse me, an additional nine branches. Um, but in order to do that, we found that the library has to take money from its rainy day fund, which right, uh, right now has about $32 million in it. But they have to take money from their rainy day fund to either meet their uh, daily operations or to provide uh, print and non-print material for the libraries. Um, and we know that non-print material like eBooks uh, are more expensive. So they have to use their own monies to do this. And also the library has to use monies from their rainy day fund to provide necessary capital improvements 
to the main library as well as their uh, branches. What's unfortunate is that back in 2009, uh, maybe 2008, the voters of the city of Detroit approved bond authorization, $97 million in bond authorization to provide um, general obligation bond proceeds for museums, um, cultural institutions, uh, municipal facilities, as well as the Detroit Public Library. And it was communicated to the citizens um, back in 2008 that possibly 25 million of the 97 million bond authorization will be used for Detroit Public Libraries. But since that time, no general obligation bond sales have been um, conducted on behalf of the library, which means again, the library has had to use its own resources to provide capital improvements um, to its um, library system. And so we looked at, just kind of wrap this up, we looked at uh, three scenarios, and I'm just gonna talk about two of those scenarios re regarding the library. We looked at the scenario where um, starting in fiscal 2024, one, the library's revenue sources could increase by another million dollars, maybe a million and a half over a four year period from 2024 through 2027, uh, 26, I'm sorry. And, uh, and that's based on the latest uh, revenue assumptions and property tax revenue that was uh, discussed during the last um, September revenue conference. Um, and then also, even more importantly, the library's pension obli uh, obligation or pension expense would drop dramatically from $2.6 um, million down to uh, $100,000. And that's because the library was able to make its pension payments during the 10-year kind of adjustment period. And, um, and those were accelerated payments. So by doing that, I see Ms. Powell, Dr. Powell's hand up, sorry. Mr. Chair, I think you've missed calling the 1035 public hearing. Thank you, Dr. Powerson. My computer just shut down on me. Crazy. Um, would like to now call the 1035 public hearing and recess it to the call of the chair. Thank you so much, Dr. Powers. Uh, you may uh, continue. Mr. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So by the library making accelerated payments into the general retirement system, they will have paid off their pension liability starting um, in next fiscal year, which starts this July 1. So that gave them a wiggle room of about $3.5 million more to work with. And my scenario two shows the impact of that greater wiggle room and it also uh, is based on the library operating just 18 branches in the main library in the bookmobile. And looking at that scenario, 
the library would just have to go into their rainy day fund for 2023, the current fiscal year, to do any capital improvements. But they show a balanced budget for 2024 through 2026. Now, the third scenario is based on the library's proposed budget for next fiscal year. And based on that proposed budget, they desire to operate 20 branches, the main library and the bookmobile. And based on that, they would have to go back to going into the rainy day fund to meet operations or to provide capital improvements and that's deficit spending. And if they were to continue to deficit spend at that level, their rainy day fund could be exhausted in about 12 years. That is not a way to run an operation. And so based on those scenarios, we had um, a number of recommendations and just want to highlight a few. And by the way, our full report on the library, as well as a PowerPoint, uh, is on the uh, Legislative Policy Division's website for citizens to, uh, to, to review. So just to highlight on a few recommendations, uh, we strongly urge the, the City of Detroit to consider the library whenever they go back out on the market to sell general obligation bonds. Um, we know that right now uh, it's just not uh, a good time to try to sell uh, general obligation bonds because of high interest rates. So, it, it, you know, the market is just not um, primed uh, to go and sell bonds. But whenever it does, we're hoping that the library uh, can be considered in the bond sale. Now, let me let me uh, say that there's $21 million remaining from that $97 million bond sale. And I know that there's uh, capital improvement needs throughout the city. But it'd be wonderful if the administration could consider a library if they sell that $21 million in bonds. If for any reason the administration cannot use some of that $21 million for the library whenever it does go back out on the market, uh, we, we, we ask that future ballot questions for general obligation bond sales uh, would include a separate one for the library so it can get the attention that it needs. Um, we also uh, recommend that the library conduct a capital needs assessment because uh, right now, their their five year capital improvement plan is about nine million dollars. Uh, it appears that that's just to provide minimal capital improvements uh, to keep the branches open. But if if a true uh, cost analysis was done, most likely that cost analysis would show to truly bring library system up to the twenty first century, it's probably going to cost a lot more than nine million dollars. And I think that the mayor and the city council needs to know that, as well as the library commissioners, uh, so that um, plans can be made to address those needs moving forward. Uh, a couple more. Uh, we had about 15 recommendations. I'm just trying to highlight the, uh, the main ones. Um, we asked that the 
the, the Office of Grants in the, under the OCFO, um, the Housing Revitalization Department, and the Communications and Media Services provide more assistance to the library, in particular the Office of Grants. We know there's a number of federal grants out there that the library probably could utilize for their um, operations. And then lastly, um, we recommend that the Doug administration and the city council should collectively determine if a restructuring of the governance structure of DP, DPL, the library, such as providing city appointment authority on the library commission, not a takeover, not a full takeover, just a, a partnership such as providing city appointment authority on a library commission, such restructuring of the governance could give the mayor and the city council greater comfort in providing a city subsidy to the library and in providing significant public capital investment in the library systems properly. But as we mentioned in the report, any change in the governance structure of DPL will require state legislation. And just to end this, um, again, we, uh, we, we, we ask that the city council, that's one of our recommendations too, by the way, that city council pass a resolution and supports of the renewal of the uh, four millage, four meals coming up in 2026. Um, we feel that by the city of Detroit becoming a stronger partner with the Detroit Public Library, uh, it would really help them moving forward. It possibly would help them to also receive assistance for the, from the philanthropic community and foundations and so forth. Now, briefly, with respect to the tax captures again, first of all, um, there was an amendment to the um, DDA uh, legislation back in 2013, 2017. Um, and there was a, a public act that uh, allowed libraries to opt out of tax captures. Unfortunately, with the library, number one, that legislation did not stop the Brownfield Redevelopment Authority to capture taxes from the library. With respect to the DDA, unfortunately, the library cannot opt out of the library unless there's an agreement between the library and the DDA, um, but, but cannot opt out as long as there are outstanding obligations with the DDA. And we know that the DDA sold bonds to the tune of about almost $400 million, uh, $350 million for the Little Caesars Arena project. And when you add the interest uh, to that uh, principle for those bonds, the total bond indebtedness is about $560 million. Those bonds will be paid off in 2049. And so because there's outstanding obligations, 
the DDA is still able to capture taxes to pay off those bonds. So with that, um, I'd like to turn it over to Mr. Head to uh, go over the resolution that's before you. Thank you so much, Mr. Chair. Thank you again, Mr. Corley, for that uh, very thorough report that you provided this body and, and the, the general public. Thank you. Mr. Head. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and uh, thank you, Mr. Corley. Uh, before Mr. Mr. Head, before we go, I would like to note that we've been joined by Member Johnson. Good morning, ma'am. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for so being safe the clerk. on the way here as well. All right. Mr. Head, the floor is yours, sir. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This resolution, which Council President Sheffield requested that we draft, uh, included several things, and I will not rehearse them rehearse them all. But one of the things we pointed out in the resolution was DPS has struggled to fulfill this mission because historically the state of Michigan has used property tax collection in local areas to fund schools, which for a poor district like Detroit, this is an unfair and inequitable way of funding schools. Also, the libraries impacted similarly, given the fact that it has a heavy reliance on local property tax revenue which I will not go into because Mr. Corley has covered that uh, tremendously. So essentially what this resolution asks is that Detroit City Council would request that the state legislature actually change the state law and change it in a way that would exclude both DPSCD and DPL from both tax abatements and tax captures in order to find an immediate increase in funding for both of these institutions. So essentially, Mr. Chair, that's what that resolution would do and what it says. All right, thank you, and sir. That, yes, thank you, sir. Thank you. And just for, for clarification, and, and then we're going to make sure we go to the rest of our, our speakers, just for clarification, if in fact City Council uh, and the administrator, everybody works together to um, uh, exempt DPL as well as DPSCD from those tax captures. I know we talked about the fact that uh, currently DPL cannot get out of those particular tax captures because of the uh, outstanding debt. Uh, would that still apply, or would that only apply? Would, would they be allowed to move, uh, be exempt as a result of any new legislation, even though they still would have that outstanding debt? Mr. Chair, you are correct. Um, they would not because it's the same. It's the same thing because of the outstanding debt. So right now, they would not be able to opt out. But DPL uh, or Detroit Public Schools, their situation is a little different than the Detroit Public Library mm -hmm. because the state actually makes up for the tax captures and also the tax abatements, but as Mr. Corley could tell you, and he has pointed out, is that there is no such system in place for the library to replace what is abated or what is captured through tax captures. But yes, you're right, because there are several outstanding bonds which which are dedicated, which, which are applied to Detroit Public Schools, they would not be able to opt out or immediately be opted out anyway. Okay, so it sounds like there would have to be some additional legislation on top of, you know, this move 
to reach that particular goal. That's what it sounds like. Um, I'm going to go now just very briefly. I think it's a, a clarification, clarifying uh, statement to uh, Member Vice Chair, who we know, love, and respect. He's got information that we don't have necessarily at this table by being a former member of state legislature. Uh, we're graced with his presence. Oh, th thank you, Mr. <laughs> Chair. I, I don't know how, how deep that knowledge runs. But um, just to clarify, though, uh, even if there were, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Corley, as well as Mr. Head, even if there was action taken uh, on the public act uh, due to the fact that unless in some way it was made retroactive, which I don't think you can generally do, uh, particularly when you're obligated with bonds, for this particular instance for the library, again, they would still uh, obviously be on the hook relative because those agreements were made prior to even if legislation was passed, correct? Uh, Mr. Chair, uh, Councilman Durham, yes, I, I, I would agree with that assessment. And, and so I, I think that's just a concern, uh, you know, even if there is a modification going forward with, let's say, other developments and other agreements. Uh, the difficulty becomes the fact that they are still on the hook for one of the largest developments or bonds that we have hanging out there. Uh, and, and so I think that's the concern, you know, moving forward. Let's say there is another, uh, there are more abatements to come. Uh, and, and, you know, you try to tackle that issue so you're not, or they're not on the hook till 2049, still with the remaining debt that for those bonds up to 2049. I, it's, it, it still would be a tremendous number. Uh, I mean, it may be less, you know, in hindsight, because you're not adding on to the debt with new obligations. However, that one obligation still exists. Yeah. So that, that was just my comment and my concern. I know uh, many of my colleagues and I, and we're going to hear from one shortly, uh, who was on the school board, uh, but also served in the legislature with me. Uh, you know, we, we, we reviewed a lot of different ideas relative to that and trying to find ways to make our, our library stronger. Uh, but noting that, again, that legislation kind of binds us, uh, per se, to, to speak uh, to about 2049. So I just wanted to provide that clarification, um, you know, relative to this uh, issue. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you so much, Member Vice Chair. All right, so we've got the, we want to first let the, the uh, pre presentations go forward. I just wanted to have a quick clarification on that. Um, and so then we're going to let this train continue to move. Uh, next up, we have uh, Russ Ballant, uh former uh, Detroit Public Library Commissioner. Thank you for joining us. As I mentioned before, he is a very integral reason why we're here today having this discussion um, because of the uh, relentless advocacy that he has uh, pursued uh, in trying to, again, identify how to uh, increase the, the funding revenue for the Detroit Public Library. Thank you, sir, for being here and want to give you an opportunity to uh, speak uh, and express uh, what you would like regarding this particular resolution. Thank you, Mr. Chair, I, and I appreciate the manner in which you're conducting this discussion, uh, creating a process of inclusion in the discussion uh, that includes the Library Commission and the School Board. Um, and I also uh, appreciate uh, elements of the report uh, that uh, Mr. Corley presented, especially about the history of tax captures and the adverse effect they've had over the years on the Detroit Public Library's finances. Um, the 
issues also of the capital bond that, uh, uh, that Mr. Corley reported on uh, are essential and little known. Uh, uh, I do um, want to say, however, that there's some, uh, some things that I'd like to correct. I, I noticed in the uh, uh, PowerPoint that was presented uh, last week at another committee that they said the tax captures will be uh, 4.1 in 2027. Today he said 4.5. In the coming fiscal year, the city plans to escalate the tax capture up to 4.2 million. And the report that was given through, uh, to the Library Commission through Antonio Brown from the city said that they were going to increase that 4.2 million, 100,000 every year, uh, up to 4.7. You know, million from the 3.5, which is a huge historic high already. Uh, I see the resolution addressing legislation that will uh, uh, prohibit tax captures, new tax captures going forward. I agree with the comments, uh, and I think the library agrees with that, that you, we cannot undo what's done in the past, but we need to stop what, what you know, from my, my perspective is a rapacious increase continuing against the library. And uh, I, I notice uh, library administration officials are on. They won't, uh, I'd like them to explain why they can uh, take a $1.2 million fee out of the library's budget and not give any documentation as to what this, 1.2 million is paying for. The city has administrative costs. They issue checks and so forth. But 1.2 million, our auditors have asked the city to document what those fees are going to. They refuse to do so. We are still facing, you've probably seen a number of outside reports now that report to you what I talked to you about on January 10th, about the, the taking of, of uh, the, uh, the wire fraud, which the city refuses to take any responsibility for, to the point where they have held up the allocation that city council gave them for uh, several years now. Uh, when the DTE re is do redoing its power grid, it was agreed that the city would pay for the HVAC conversion because of the voltage change. The city, through our general counsel, Dickinson Wright Law Firm, uh, told us that they wanted us to sign off on uh, something absolving them of any responsibility for the wire theft of the accounts that they control for the library. And they've held up the city council approved project for two years. And if, you know, so our HVA system is on one leg right now. And we're gonna, we could lose operations in the main library this summer if they don't follow through. So uh, what we're showing, and this is responding to, I, and I didn't expect this to be on uh, in the report, the call for restructuring. Um, and Mr. Corley said, repeated Scott Benson's uh, statements that this isn't a takeover, it is a takeover. And if you look at the language, restructuring and taking over the, the governing board of the library is a takeover. So if, if the party, that, that is uh, indifferent to the wire fraud from their own, own area of responsibility, that takes $1.2 million a year in administrative fees without 
the courtesy of an explanation. Uh, I personally think the 1.2 million is way higher than the actual costs. If they tax capture relentlessly and, and plan on huge increases for years to come, those aren't the folks that have a heart and a care for the mission of the Detroit Public Library. They see us as a cash cow for development projects. That, it, in the city that faces the deep educational crises that, the, that we face through the, and address through the school board and the library, any diminution of the capacity of the library, and Director Mondowney has done tremendous work in getting programs into the libraries and the branches and, and cooperating with DP, uh, Detroit Public School District. It, any diminution of that and our capacity to do that is inexcusable. For every dollar of development that they say they're getting downtown, that, that's a dollar away from neighborhood development and education of our people and our young children. And we're doing programs that start with children at PK before kindergarten and we need those funds. Uh, I would also like to correct one other thing, another thing in the report. Uh, it says that uh, the, uh, in, in the attachment three on page six, the uh, LPD report, put this in a memo, uh, a report in April 26th of 2021 on page six, it says that the library gets 0.64 mils from the school district. That's completely false. Director Mondowney and uh, myself on separate initiatives have repeatedly uh, addressed this to David Whitaker and LPD, but they refuse to change it. Uh, and I've asked them to talk to the, the school district. Perhaps somebody today can address it from the school district. We do not get any money from the school district. We're on our own. The 4.63 mills uh, on property taxes are 90% of our revenue and most of that other 10% wouldn't occur if we didn't have that 90%. So we literally exist uh, on our millage. Other tax captured entities, the millage is a small part of their revenue. For this, it's everything. We need the city council to protect the library. And you know, down the road, we can talk about ways of addressing the legacy millage expenses, uh, tax capture expenses, but um, we, I'll just say that we, we cannot fathom why the administration has been indifferent. We sent a letter signed by all seven commissioners two years ago to talk to the mayor about the library and its mission, and we never got an acknowledgement or any kind of response from the mayor. They have completely ignored and are indifferent to the concerns of the library, and through, through the wire fraud theft, through the mass escalation of tax captures from the 1.2 undocumented administrative fee, we're, we're gonna be losing one of every $6, or every $5 even, in, in the coming years, 20%. Can you imagine if somebody was tax capturing 20% of the city's revenue? Think of, put the library and education and the needs of our our children, our seniors, and the community, first and foremost. There's a lot of resources that exist in the downtown development arena. The library should not be one of them.
Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Belmont. Thank you for your testimony. And I know that we are also joined by uh, Commissioner Franklin Jackson. Uh, Commissioner Jackson, are you there? And I believe you're joining yes, us by Commissioner phone. Ja We're not able to um, be on your camera, uh, but you are joining us by phone. That is correct? That's correct. Okay. Please introduce yourself again for the record and uh, give you uh, an opportunity to state as a current member of the board the position on the resolution. If you can strictly stick with the resolution that we have, uh, because I think we've got a lot of got a lot of stuff that got framed, and I think they're very important. But what's before us for sure is a resolution um, for exemption. Should we do it? Should we not? So, uh, if you will, Commissioner, uh, again introduce yourself for the record and let us know uh, the position of the um, DPO Commission. Thank you, Councilman. Uh, my name is Franklin George Jackson. I'm uh, currently the secretary of the Detroit Public Library. Last year, I was the president. Um, I won't be redundant, but I support what uh, Russ Ballant, former commissioner, has stated up to this point uh, entirely. Um, and he stated it very succinctly and, and accurately. Um, what I would like to add is uh, the efforts to make a partnership with the Detroit Public Library by the city is a violation of the establishment of the commission system. The commission system was supposed to be above the political fray. And it's been this way for more than 150 years. And any attempt to partner with us while you're tax capturing us while there's the outstanding issue of the $400,000 theft that the city won't pay us back, even though the city was the cause of the $400,000 loss, not the library. Um, all of these ongoing issues are violating the, uh, the commission system that was established to leave the library separated from the political system. I don't understand how a city can to use your term partner with Detroit Public Library when you are our fiduciary. I don't know how you get uh, appointment authority on the members of a body that you are the fiduciary for. Isn't there an inherent conflict of interest in that? I think so. I think it's glaring. I think it's obvious. Um, with regards to the specific legislative policy division uh, article, to tell the library that we are on the hook for things that we didn't initiate until 2049 and uh, the city in year in and year out comes to the library to take money out of our accounts uh, through the tax capture. They won't tell us what they intend to take. They won't even tell us what they intend to take the following year. Uh, and it, through your own projections, you see that you will probably make us insolvent within a decade uh, with this continued abusive behavior. Why wouldn't the library want to be separated from uh, the city of Detroit through tax capture? Uh, we already uh, suffer greatly uh, at the hand of the city. And the irony is the library is so well managed. We issue triannual budgets. Uh, and despite that, 
we have managed to hold it together to provide services, to have branches. We managed to have a uh, emergency fund. That emergency fund, which uh, was identified as having $32 million in it, I don't want anyone to be under the impression that that is uh, static. That number rises and falls quickly because it is dependent upon property tax collection and the needs of the, the library system, as well as the unknown amount the city will take every year through tax capture. Uh, through all that, the library has still managed to reach an agreement with our uh, labor groups, uh, for our workers, through the memorandum of understanding, through the general retiree system. Um, I just want something clearly understood. The, the library never experienced bankruptcy. While the city went through bankruptcy and retirees from the city took a hit, we were not in bankruptcy because we're a separate municipal entity. And the unions approached us and they said, you've got to make uh, the retirees from the library that are in the city system who had taken a hit, you've got to make them whole. And we did that despite the financial challenges of tax capture. We did that because it was the proper thing to do and the right thing to do. It wouldn't have served the library's interest to go into bankruptcy with the city. Uh, one, because it would have been fraud. We had some money in reserve, but two, we, there was no need for us to do that and put our properties and our art collections and our, and our, our books in jeopardy uh, just to follow the city into bankruptcy to dispatch with uh, old debt. And, and so we've, we've done all these Herculean economic things with very little funds, and we've managed it very tightly. And what we're trying to communicate very clearly to the city is that we have reached a limit. Uh, the, the, the behavior of the city towards the Detroit Public Library has reached, um, and, and I'm not afraid to say this, an abusive stand. Uh, they have regarded us. They have come to regard us for some odd reason as a cash cow, as Russ Ballant said. And we need to stop this because when the library system collapses, it will be at the hands of the city. It won't be because we were internally mismanaged or we're just another legacy department from old Detroit that needs to be uh, revamped or whatever colorful words you might be using. Uh, our biggest threat is coming from the city. And to this date, the city has refused, just flatly refused, to return the $400,000 that was stolen from the library because of the city actions, not because of anything in the library. Now, currently, there's an FBI investigation into this, and I'm still waiting for a report from them regarding this. Uh, we didn't receive any support or help from the Detroit police. Commissioner, Commissioner, so, Commissioner if, we, if we can, we can kind of get us back to the actual resolution because we've got a again a pretty aggressive agenda, and we're right now at eleven fourteen. We have other speakers who want to speak as well. Uh, take us back to the position again. We can understood, Councilman. I appreciate you. Thank you. Understood, Councilman. The Legislative Policy Division they went to great lengths to create this document, and as Mr. Ballant has solely pointed, 
Uh, to go through 150 pages of this front and back, and they're under the assumption that uh, the Detroit Public Library is receiving funds from uh, the school district. I don't know how they came to that conclusion, uh, but that is completely false. Uh, we are a separate municipal entity, and um, we're going to have to seek relief from the abuse that we're receiving currently from the city. Um, I'll leave it there, and you can go to other comments. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Appreciate your comments uh, and your participation as well. would now like to uh, turn to the Detroit Public Schools Community District. I know we've been joined again, as I mentioned earlier, by uh, President uh, Angelique Peterson Mayberry, as well as uh, member Sherry Gay Danyogo. Uh, if you both would please turn your cameras on, that would be appreciated. Love to see as many people as we can um, we're presenting before us. And good morning to both of you. Um, thank you for being here. If you can please, uh, before you. Uh, give your statement, uh, introduce yourself for the record, but want to uh, publicly congratulate uh, President uh, Peterson Mayberry for again uh, being uh, appointed as president by the uh, school board. So congratulations, uh, definitely do, do a tremendous job. Floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Councilman Tate. Uh, I am Angelique Peterson Mayberry, serving in my second term uh, on the Detroit Public Schools Community District Board of Education. And really, really uh, much thanks to my colleagues for entrusting me for a second term also as president of the Detroit Public Schools Community District Board of Education. And I'm honored to be uh, alongside uh, Ms. Uh, Sherry Gay Dagnogo, uh, legislative guru who is here with us today. So I will let her introduce herself. Um, I'll I'll say a few things and then I'll turn it over to my colleague, uh, Member Gay Dagnogo. Gary Gay Dagnogo, uh, former staffer to City Council back in the day, uh, and my councilman is Councilman Tate, um, former uh, state representative, uh, serving with uh, Councilman Fred Durahal. So it's good to see all of you today, uh, and now current Detroit School Board member and former teacher. Awesome. Thank you for being here as well, neighbor. <laughs> So, Council President, are you were you going to give uh, no, remarks no, first? No, no. Oh, the floor is yours, uh, Council. Uh, okay. So I'll start and then I'll turn it over to my colleagues. So let me just first say unequivocally, the board and the district, we fully support the redevelopment and improvements in Detroit. I mean, um, that that should go without saying. And while some of these developments can actually spur growth, we want to ensure that billion dollar company with billion dollar companies that abatements don't continue to take away dollars from our students. It was mentioned earlier, but I just wanted to mention if, if for those who are listening, we have two millages in the school district. So there's 13 mills and that's for capital debt and then 18 mills for school operations, which we presented to voters. It was presented by the school district and voters approved both of those. DPS does not receive 18 millage reimbursement. And that's basically due to the configuration of DPSCD. So therefore each abatement of the 18 mills actually extends the debt repayment time and it increases the amount of interest that we have to pay. So we have approximately $200 million in outstanding debt to be repaid. 
There also currently is a $1.5 billion outstanding capital debt to be repaid through the 13 bills. That debt is not expected to be repaid until 2049. So that just kind of leaves us with very few options to raise funds to address the $2.1 billion need that we have for facilities. So let me again just say we maintain our stance to be exempt. This was stated in a communication that we shared with President Sheffield back in 2021. And due to the new board composition, this indeed is a planned agenda topic in our upcoming retreat. So as we move out of this horrific pandemic, we want to get back to the educational reform work, which we know is severely underfunded. Our focus has to remain taking action that is in the best interest of our Detroit students and academic recovery. So I wanted to make that statement just to let people kind of know where we are and then turn it over to my colleague. Member Gay Dagnogo. Thank you, uh, Madam President. And again, thank you all and, and all of our citizens who are also tuned in. Uh, this, this continues to be a pressing issue. So we're very grateful um, that your body has taken um, our request um, seriously and as we address inequitable funding. Uh, we know that a lot has happened um, since these conversations have started. We know that we've been impacted by COVID. We know that we've received some additional dollars from COVID. Uh, we also realize that we now have a Democratic majority in the House, the Senate, and the governor's office. And so while uh, the board does have a custodial um, obligation and responsibility to highlight and point out the inequalities that exist and how we're impacted by these millages, we believe that there are some partnerships that we can establish uh, with the council members, the administration, to have a more robust conversation uh, about addressing not only the legacy debt um, that exists and uh, almost feels like in perpetuity, but until the 2049, but we also need to look at how we can uh, update Proposal A uh, and to hold harmless um, uh, the, the local village funding uh, that is associated and why we're not able to get equitable funding in the first place with our surrounding a suburban counterpart help with respect to removing the vestiges of that was created under there are a lot we also need to look at that of community colleges uh, and, and one of the biggest elephants in the room is for you know our legislature to fully fund uh, the literacy lawsuit the 94 million dollars so we do have two new members uh, and our financial uh, finance committee uh, does meet tomorrow of which I'm part of. Uh, and as our president highlighted, we discussed this Member Gay Danielgo, later on February. Member Gay Danielgo, your computer is, it is also breaking up. Myself, uh, saw I'm sorry. Did, you, did are you? Can you hear me? Yeah, we, we're having some trub, troubles. Uh, your uh, feed is is going in and out. We're not uh, able to hear you. you. Yeah, remember, Gage, so I, I, know, I know what happens sometimes is if you turn your camera off. Wi-Fi. Yeah, I was going to ask if you can turn your camera off. Uh, yep. and, and complete your 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 statement. That would prop. That might help. That may help. Can you hear me? Okay, turn it off. Okay. 
Is that is that better? We can hear you. You can hear me. Yes, ma'am. So I, I don't know where I, where I left off, but I I talked about the areas in which I would like a partnership as our custodial responsibility of addressing uh, the millages and the legacy debt. But we also need um, your help and focus uh, on addressing Purple A and to make sure that holding harmless um, the district. And as we try and compete with our surrounding suburban counterparts, removing the debt was created under their watch. Uh, making sure that we address uh, and receive the $94 million from the literacy lawsuit. Uh, so there are other ways, um, as, as we continue to move forward in talking about this, as I mentioned, our finance committee meets tomorrow. We have two new members, uh, but as our president stated, we do have a custodial responsibility and obligation uh, to highlight the impact on the district. We're just asking to broaden the scope and ask for your support in the other areas that I believe will help to ensure additional funding uh, that is coming directly to the classroom for our children. And I believe that, does that conclude your, your comments, Member Gay Danielgo? Yes, it does. All right, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Very much appreciate it. All right, so now we're going to go to the uh, administration as well as the DEGC, uh, who will provide uh, their uh, position, if you will, on the uh, implications of this resolution if it is approved by uh, our body. And if you can please introduce yourselves. Uh, I think we, you guys have done it. We saw you on the uh, screen earlier. So you may proceed, whoever would like to, to begin. Uh, well, I, I, this is Kenyatta Bridges with the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation. I'd like mm -hmm. to begin. And I'd just like to say that um, the D Detroit Public Library and the Detroit Public Schools are very important. And um, we do realize that. But I do want to take us back to just mm -hmm. the overall authorizing statute. Tax abatements are not local statutes. These are enabled by state authorizing statute. So we have to, this would have to be addressed through mm -hmm. uh, a change in the legislature. But I do want to start and say that at no point in time does DPS or DPL lose oh. revenues. Tax abatements, the way tax abatements work is that tax abatements provide a discount on real property improvements for a certain period of time. Any taxes that were paid prior to those improvements being made, as well as the taxes on the land, continue to be paid and the taxing jurisdictions continue to receive that, um, that funding. And no different from the TIF, there's a base value that's established prior to the increment um, occurring. And that base value, the taxes are continued to, pay, to be paid on that base value. So I do want to mention that there's never a loss in revenues here. So we're, we're not talking about the schools losing money, um, but this is something that helps us. Tax incentives is something that helps us to remain um, viable and competitive as a city, right? If we want to continue oh, yeah, to see yeah, the yeah. economic activity that we're seeing today, these tools are necessary. We underwrite all of these tools and we look at these tools and they go through rigorous evaluation. And there is a but for guiding policy that say without these incentives, this project could not happen. And so when we look at what we were able to facilitate last year, um, it was more than um, 3,000 jobs that we were able to um, 
kind of put in, in motion, as well as over a billion dollars in investment, that would not occur without these incentive tools. Because we, like I say, we underwrite each tool and each tool, each abatement demonstrates the need. Without the need, there is no project to be had. So I just wanted to make those few comments and then I'll turn it over to my other colleagues. Through the chair? The floor is yours, sir. Thank you, Mr. Chair. And thank you, Kenyatta. Uh, the only thing I'd add, Mr. Chair, is that again, given the um, the recognition and the design of these statutes, that what's abated or captured is only incremental revenues. Um, I, I believe the legislature's intent is to take um, and apply um, the the reach of any abatement or capture to nearly every taxing jurisdiction, without without many exceptions. And uh, and similarly, as we evaluate the um, we evaluate the uh, the need for the use of these tools on a project by project basis, um, our uh, choice is only on uh, is to flip a switch essentially up or down, and have these tools apply categorically as to all taxing jurisdictions um, or none of them. And so, uh, as Ms. Bridges just explained, we only use these tools when they are necessary to enable development. Um, and uh, and we are only impacting what would be new revenues unlocked by these developments and not existing revenues. And I think that's a really important point to underline the risk of repeating Ms. Bridges. Um, if I could say a few words, Mr. Chair, about um, how these tools uh, do and do not impact school funding. Um, you know, I would I would not dispute um, any any points that uh, the DPSCD's leadership uh, made given their expertise, but but if I could try to um, sort of frame the conversation in my own words, uh, there is, I think, an important distinction to draw between the way in which these revenues, uh, what the what the various mills do and do not fund, um, uh, in terms of assessing the impact. Um, it, it's important to note, Mr. Chair, that the school operating mills and the SET revenues um, that are um, that are generated by properties in the city of Detroit are, uh, in fact, contributed to the state um, and become part of the contributions to the state school aid fund. The school aid uh, fund, Mr. Uh, Chair, is um, a state uh, source that then funds school districts uh, on a per pupil basis, regardless of the amount of local uh, revenue generation. And so. Uh, that means, Mr. Chair, that um, if there were any abatement or capture of operating re mill revenues or SET revenues at the, um, by virtue of a tax abatement or a TIF, um, any shortfall in revenues that may result from that or any any uh, diminution in new revenues, I should say, that would have gone to the school aid fund because of that, do not impact the amount of money um, that the community district receives on a per pupil basis. Um, and I think that is an important um, uh, mitigation uh, consideration for um, the question of school operating funding. Um, similarly, uh, I think as uh, the community district's leadership pointed out, there is of course the question of the old DPS, that is to say the former Detroit Public Schools District as compared to the community district. Their uh, capital debt and the way in which the debt mill, which uh, uh, really only exists to service their old debt um, is a unique challenge um, that I think has a lot of different solutions to it. Um, and uh, and yet, for purposes of evaluating the significance of what the exemption uh, from tax abatements or capture, um, the significance of any exemption for the debt mill, um, it is, I think, worth underlining that that would only apply to the, uh, the funding source that exists to service the debt of old DPS. 
And so, um, so I, uh, I appreciate the committee's time. I know we have a lot to discuss and we're already running long. So if I could please, Mr. Chair, hand it over to uh, my colleague, Mr. Nagelik, to say a few words about library revenues uh, and uh, the role of the OCFL. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Chair, and thank, thank you, Luke. Um, I just wanted to correct one comment that I believe the former commissioner made. Um, the city, as I think everyone on this call knows, is required by state law to have a revenue estimating conference and a four-year balanced budget. So we project all of our revenues, as you know, um, through this revenue estimating conference. And what he's referring to is we shared with the library um, the projection for what property tax revenue would be in each of the next four years. And because we know that the taxable value has been growing in the city because of the great turnaround in values, because of a, a lot of the um, things that the administration has done, um, there, yes, their capture goes up, but the net revenue to the library in that projection is also going up. Um, so as Mr. Polson said, it's important to remember that the, the library and the schools are not the only people who are having their taxes captured. The city is having property taxes captured. Uh, the DDA, just to put some numbers on this, has tax capture revenue last year per our audited financial statements of a little over $50 million. Um, 30 million of that is the debt service on the bonds that um, Mr. Corley mentioned that were issued for Little Caesars Arena and then the incremental bonds that were issued to accommodate the changes for the Pistons uh, making a commitment to come downtown. Um, the remainder of the DDA revenue is used to support uh, economic development, um, job retention when, when we needed to make a deal to um, have Ally commit to keep their employees and to relocate employees from the suburbs to Detroit. Um, the DDA participated in that. Most recently, the DDA is using um, part of its revenue to support affordable housing in, in, the, in the DDA district. So, so all these things, the revenue that the DDA collects are being used for economic development that we all believe and, and think the numbers show are increasing the value of properties with, within the district, which, which are, are captured. So um, just wanted to mention that, and, and I, through the chair, I know Member Durhall mentioned it, um, the DDA bonds that we all issued um, are not projected to mature until 2048. So we do have existing, existing debt. I just wanted to mention that. Um, maybe the only other thing I'd mention is, just because it might not be apparent to people, um, um, the city's library, um, really is connected to the city in many ways. Um, the library's employees participate in our general retirement system. Uh, the library uses the city's Oracle system to do its payables. It uses the city system to do its payroll. And the city is the one that's collecting uh, the millage as we collect all millages um, for other taxing jurisdictions uh, uh, for them. So there are substantial services that the city is rendering to the library in terms of both collecting the revenue and then also um, using our systems to, to make disbursements. So um, with that, I, I think that's the only comments I wanted to, to, to make based on what I've heard today. Okay. Thank you all uh, very much. And I had intended to allow for those individuals who were not giving presentations to give comment, but as been noted, we are very deep in the agenda and we are uh, we have to be out of here by one o'clock for the next committee. So uh, for those who 
have anything to add. There very well may be an opportunity for you to speak again, um, but I can't make that promise at this moment because we're now about to go to uh, council colleagues who may have any questions, concerns, uh, comments regarding this particular item, and we'll start with member vice chair. Thank you, Mr. Chair. And again, I won't belabor the point. I know we went over there first. I think and uh, want to thank LPD as well for just a great comprehensive uh, report. Uh, I guess my concern is is a few that have been noted. One, uh, we have not had our revenue estimating conference as of yet. Uh, so to take action on any item right now relative to that, I believe would be premature. Two, we have not heard, uh, or nor has the government or the governor, pardon me, uh, even laid out her idea for what the budget is going to be in the state of Michigan. As spoken about, uh, the changes that have to come, uh, although we may make decisions, uh, are going to have to happen on a statutory level. Uh, and so I think it would be premature to uh, even vote on those resolutions or address them at that time, not knowing, one, what the implications are going to be before we have a complete idea of what our economic forecast is going to be. That's one. Two, uh, without possibly having discussions with the legislature on what their intent is and or what the governor's intent is. Uh, I know we talk about, uh, and it's undeniable, uh, our libraries are barely hanging on. Uh, you know, I have one in my district, and although operational, they need help. Uh, and there have been many that have closed throughout the years. Uh, but I do believe there is a way uh, with a newer legislature that maybe through partnership that other solutions can be created uh, to ensure that uh, our libraries get adequate funding. Uh, and I know sometimes there's a misnomer that the city of Detroit has a big bucket of money all the time, even with the ARPA funding. Uh, but when we talk about sustainability, you know, we do have to have those tough conversations of what that looks like for the libraries here, what our roles are. But I just think at this time it'd be premature to push for uh, even resolutions, uh, and we don't know what that forecast is going to be. We don't know what uh, the state's intent. Uh, is to ensure that we are able to do some things operationally down here. So wanted to make that comment, uh, not making a motion yet as we have not reached that line item, uh, but just wanted to put that on everyone's mind. I believe everybody here wants to see our libraries succeed, um, but there are a lot of things wrapped up in that. There's a lot of action that has to be taken. Uh, and I can tell you as a former legislator, uh, and this is all due respect to local municipalities and gov uh, governments, because I serve on one now. Uh, often when you push resolutions up uh, to the state level, it is just to urge a body of government to take action on something. That does not mean that that is going to happen. That does not mean that even most of the representatives will hear that resolution. Uh, I can tell you from experience sitting on the floor, they're read into the record after everybody has left the floor. Uh, so I think it would be disingenuous uh, to even push forth a resolution up to uh, our governing body uh, pending or, or saying that we haven't even had a discussion with them uh, of what we would like to see. So I, I did want to articulate that, and I appreciate your uh, indulgence, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Member Johnson, any questions, concerns, comments? Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I'm not really sure where to start. This has been a lot of information to take in. 
Um, I will say that I think we all understand where the DDA gets its authority. Um, to hear Mr. Corley talk about the uh, bonds that were issued by the DDA that now, um, essentially, if we were to move forward with this resolution, it would be more symbolic in nature than anything. Um, but I also think that it could send a message if we were to move it forward. Um, and now it sounds like the DDA would really need to make a decision. We've been creative in um, identifying forgivable loans for development projects. Um, and when we look at the $4 million on average for the Detroit Public Library, uh, I'm not sure what that number is for the schools. Um, but I would venture to think that is a drop in the bucket. Uh, there was one gentleman who said that the DDA captures $50 million, I believe. Uh, and so just really interested in getting a better understanding of the DDA's perspective of um, providing some relief to the Detroit Public Library because my colleagues will remember uh, last year during budget season I was pushing trying to help support one of the branches in, in my district that is closed, that has been closed, and it really does not need a lot of attention. Um, but it just needs some of us to just show that we support the library as a system and that we recognize the value that it has to our residents. Um, we can say that, but I think the way to show it is to identify some creative ways to provide support to make sure that the libraries can remain open. Um, I always point out my district because it is one, ironically enough, that does not have a an open and active rec center. It does not have an active or open community center. And still we have libraries in District 4 that are closed. So if there is some level of support that's supposed to come from somewhere, I'd love to see where it's coming from. Um, th this is all, to me, it, it continues to perpetuate the interest, the support, the endorsement of development downtown and not in our neighborhoods. Uh, and so I'm hopeful that we can come to some resolution. Uh, not exactly sure what that's going to be, but certainly looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. And just for me, I, you know, I, I, there's no deadline, no rush to approve this today. Um, this conversation, this discussion that we have uh, been having it has been very informative. Uh, the documents were extremely informative for me uh, to read through, um, but there's a, it sounds like some additional conversations that need to be had with other entities outside of those who we have present today um, to see if, you know, again, how do we go just beyond even a resolution? How do we fix this issue? How do we address the issue in its entirety? Um, and, you know, again, it's been stated, the resolution as, as is currently uh, drafted uh, does, you know, pretty much all that we can do at this table here. And, and clearly, again, it's just our intent uh, and not necessarily the actual movement that is necessary to make, you know, it happen. If, in fact, again, this body is in support, uh, the full body is in support of, of moving forward with a recommend, recommending the uh, exemption for DPS CD as well as DPL. Um, and, 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 and then to that point, 
uh, this resolution would do something different to both of those entities. And we want to make sure that uh, in the event that, again, if it's approved, that it maximizes the opportunity for both of these entities that are extremely important to our children, our, 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 our city, uh, and our future as well. And so, um, colleagues, uh, I am, again, uh, thankful for you allowing this uh, discussion to take place. We very well may have an additional conversation publicly here, um, but member uh, vice chair, by you serving in the state, uh, I will uh, follow your lead uh, on how we handle this item with uh, respect to our uh, state legislature um, and will allow those conversations to, to take place before I, I push for a, a vote on this particular item in this committee. Um, it's always better to have as, you know, get to the discussion, get it to the point where we need it to be in the committee uh, before we send it out to the uh, full body, and then it ends up being postponed, pushed back, pushed back, and maybe jumped back to the committee as well. So uh, sounds like we still have some, uh, just some, a bit of work to do um, and conversations to be had, and uh, I'm looking forward to those conversations. Definitely want to see um, impact. It's one thing when we look at what the law allows for. Um, you know, we, we've heard that, but it's another thing to look at what um, – how we can be creative, um, working uh, with the uh, current laws that are in place, but then also seeing what we have to do to amend those laws so that, you know, at the end of the day, we, we still have development going in the city of Detroit, but we also ensure that we maximize the revenue opportunity for uh, operations for the DPL and DPSCD. So with that being said, um, colleagues, is there a motion? Uh, let's... Is there a motion to? I move is there a motion for line item seven point eight? We're in discussion right now for the uh, actual discussion, but is there a motion to uh, discuss and uh, move? I move to take up line 8? item seven point eight uh, as well as discuss line item seven point eight. There's a motion to discuss line item seven point eight, member vice chair. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and as articulated before, and, and thank you for your great comments and your indulgence and in even bringing this uh, before our body. I know it's been a discussion for a very long time. We've had members uh, come down for public comment, and so uh, it, needs, it needs more work, uh, I believe, before we decide, just as you stated, uh, and there are discussions that can happen in the very near future uh, relative to what is happening in our state. We're in a new uh, era, so to speak, just left Lansing last night. So. Uh, there are some things that are happening and that are moving that I, I believe uh, need to be tended to as a first. So with that, uh, Mr. Chair, and I know, I know you normally don't like uh, to, to uh, do that because you run a tight ship on our schedule, uh, I would like to make a motion to bring back line item 7.8 to be determined. Uh, Vice Chair, can we at least give it a, let's give it a month? Before we bring back at least to allow those conversations to, that, to take place. That that is that is fine with me. Noting that uh, the governor should be presenting her budget in the ne in the next couple of weeks, uh, so I move, uh, I amend my motion. I move that we uh, bring back line item seven point eight in one month. Okay. There is a motion to bring back line item seven point eight in one month slash four weeks. Any objection? Seeing none, that action shall be taken. I just want to make it clear on the record that we're not just kicking the can down the road. We're not just not trying to make a decision. We want to make sure that the decision that we make actually 
addresses the issue and not just putting a Band-Aid on it and checks the box that says we did something, but that something doesn't, it doesn't cure the ailment. The ailment. Thank you again. Thank you all who, uh, who participated in today's presentation. We really appreciate it and look forward to the continued discussion. All right. We shall now call back to order the 1035 public hearing. Will the parties who are participating please queue up? The 1035 public hearing is establishing a commercial rehabilitation certificate on behalf of AC Detroit Holdings LLC in the area of 3448 Woodward Avenue, Detroit, Michigan, in accordance with Public Act 210 of 2005. Will the parties who are participating, when you see yourself on the screen, Please introduce yourself for the record. Good morning, Mr. Chair. Uh, Nevin Chokar with the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation. Good morning. Morning again, Mr. Chair. Derek Head, LPD. Good morning, sir. Good morning, James Van Dyke uh, from the Roxbury Group, uh, representing AC Detroit Holdings LLC. Good morning. Good, good morning, David Dorita, also from the Roxbury Group and also representing AC Detroit. Good morning. I believe we may have one additional speaker. We'll allow that person to uh, introduce themselves when they arrive. Who would like to begin? Uh, I, to the, through the chair, I, uh, I, I guess I'll defer to Mr. Shokar. Mr. Chair, I believe we've been joined by Justice Cook. Mr. Cook. Can you hear me? Uh, we can now. Good morning. Please introduce yourself for the record. Justice Cook, HRD. Good morning. Uh, who would like to begin? I will. Thank you. you to the chair, AC Detroit Holdings LLC is requesting a commercial rehabilitation exemption certificate in the area of 3448 Woodward Avenue, Mr. Cook, you might want to turn your, your camera off. That may assist you. You have frozen up on our end. Mr. Cook, are you there? All right. Well, we allow Mr. Cook to get his uh, system back up and going. Mr. Shokar, if you can uh, proceed with your portion, please. Uh, certainly, Mr. Chair. And uh, good morning again. Um, so as you've already heard uh, the AC Hotel project uh, is before you today. It's led by the Roxbury Group. Uh, David Derrida and James Van Dyke are present. Um, this is a commercial rehabilitation exemption certificate uh, for the new construction of 154 key hotel. Uh, there was a broad based district that was created uh, back in 2016, June of 2016 to support multiple new developments uh, within the Midtown uh, Brush Park area. And so this developer is before you today uh, with the final step and the only uh, incentive or approval that they're, that they're seeking, which is the, the PA-210 uh, certificate. And so with that, uh, Mr. Chair, I'd like to share my screen. You may. Thank you. So let's talk about the Commercial Rehabilitation Act. So this provides um, a reduction on the future increase in property taxes as a result of the construction of new commercial structures. So it essentially acts as a property tax coupon and it can last for as long as 10 years. 
and so let's talk a little bit about the way that it works. So, so what you can see here is uh, this is a graph that shows 15 years. So year zero is where we are today, roughly uh, $4,000 in taxes are currently being paid for uh, this property. And upon completion of the improvements, and so there's roughly $50 million that will be spent uh, to construct this new hotel, uh, the taxes with, with the tax abatement applied will jump to uh, almost $140,000, roughly $138,000. Um, and then at, upon expiration of that tax incentive, uh, the, total, the total taxes will be over $500,000 uh, in year 11, as you can see. So let's, let's also talk about where the project is. So the project is located at the corner of Mac and Woodward, um, close to the Whole Foods Market. And what is there today? So um, this is a sort of like an aerial view of the site. The site is in blue. Uh, it's in the, the blue kind of rectangle that's there in the center of the screen. Um, what you can see next to it is the Bonstell Theater. And directly behind it is the uh, roughly 500 space, 600 space uh, parking deck uh, that was constructed uh, recently. And so what will be uh, created is, uh, as I mentioned, uh, sorry, a 10 story, 153 key hotel uh, with a glass conservatory that's in the middle, kind of between the Bonstell uh, Theater and the uh, hotel. And so the developer has secured all of uh, the necessary approvals that they would need in order to start construction on this hotel in the second quarter of this year. Um, so, as I mentioned, this is sort of uh, the final step in the process for them. And so what this development specifically will bring uh, is a significant number of new jobs. So the developer has committed to uh, creating 35 full-time jobs. Um, they've signed an agreement with Creo uh, that will enforce this tax abatement agreement and, uh, and also ensure that these 35 employees are hired. Uh, additionally, the developer uh, expects to create 100 temporary uh, construction jobs. And in all of these jobs, they are committed to working with uh, Detroit at Work. Um, and so the developer, I think, is prepared to speak more on um, how they expect to hire Detroiters and, um, and also speak to their commitments of hiring Detroiters in the past for other projects that they've worked on in Detroit. Um, and so with that, I kind of want to talk about uh, two things um, that, you know, that we look at here at the DEGC. So the, the first is uh, the net benefit. So no tax incentive uh, is ever recommended for approval without a net benefit to the city of Detroit. And so we look at, uh, in this case, this is a 10-year tax abatement that we're recommending. Um, so over the next 10 years, the city of Detroit is $1.2 million better off. Uh, as a result of, of this development with the abatement being factored in. And a large reason for that is because of the, uh, the large increase in, in income taxes that are being collected and, and uh, going directly into the city's general fund. Uh, second, when we look at a project requesting a, an abatement, um, we look at the returns and we go through, you know, the cash flow, the pro forma, the financials, the construction costs, and we sort of determine does the does the project first of all even need a tax incentive and second of all could it do with a shorter tax incentive less than you know the full 10 years could it be a six-year abatement an eight-year abatement 
but in this case, upon the review, um, the full 10-year tax abatement term uh, is necessary. And the reason for it is because without it, uh, the project would not be able to get a mortgage from the bank. Uh, simply, there wouldn't be enough money left over at the end of the month uh, for the bank to feel comfortable um, getting, getting a payment. And so with that, I think uh, the developer would like to say a few words and, and share some more details specifically on, uh, on their, their hiring and, and other um, sort of project-related details. So thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. I'm developing uh, proceed. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chair, and thank you, Nevin. And I realize uh, you have a very packed agenda, so I will not belabor uh, uh, the remarks. I'd like to just say, say a few words of context to hopefully address for members of, of the, the committee and, and, and council members, obviously, that uh, uh, the, the, the long road uh, and collaborative road we've we've led with uh, the DGC and the city of Detroit to this moment. Uh, the, the, the AC Detroit was originally conceived of and launched as a project we very much intended to get in the ground in the early part of 2020. Uh, and, and obviously we all know what happened then. Um, what I, I guess I wanted to just do is give you a perspective that hopefully rounds out a little bit uh, uh, of what Devin was just saying as it relates to hospitality uh, and as it relates to our investments in hospitality in, in, in the city of Detroit, uh, my colleague James Van Dyke is going to talk a bit about the employment benefits of it. Um, but we all know the importance of adding more keys to our marketplace so that Detroit can continue to compete uh, and grow. We are an under-hoteled market. Uh, and I can tell you that the last three years hasn't made it any easier to add those keys. Quite to the contrary, it is an, a, a frank miracle that I have to uh, put at the at, at the uh, doorstep of a, a lot of people, Marriott uh, International, of course, uh, our development team, our construction team, our lenders, uh, um, and our investors for sticking with this project because it really uh, will be a phenomenal addition to uh, our portfolio of Marriott uh, properties in Detroit and help the city continue to grow an industry that is, frankly, a homegrown industry and, and an industry that that adds jobs, uh, and uh, and we're we're really frankly honored to have the opportunity to stand before you, saying that with all seriousness, we want to get this thing in the ground uh, in the next couple months. And so um, I'm going to just be perfectly happy to answer any specific questions about this important project. But I'm going to ask uh, James Van Dyke to talk just a little bit about the employment aspects. Thank you, David. If it pleases the chair, I'm going to continue. You may proceed. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Chairman and uh, council members. Yeah, I just, you know, you know, we haven't been before you for a few years, uh, given the pandemic, but, you know, whenever we are before you and re as recently with our hotel projects, both the uh, element at the Metropolitan Building uh, and the aloft at the David Whitney Building, um, we, we love to uh, go back and pull out uh, the the employment metrics that we've been able to achieve at those two operating businesses. Um, just pulled this morning um, from the general manager that in, in those two hotels, we've been able to create about 100 jobs total uh, between the two operations. And of those 100 jobs, 65% are filled uh, by Detroit residents. Um, and it just, it, in, in, in we've, it's always been a priority of ours, but it happens quite naturally in the hospitality industry. It's an industry that um, uh, a lot of time hires uh, people with no experience, uh, it, it then, you know, with each one of these projects, hundreds of thousands of dollars is spent uh, on, on training 
uh, to get uh, the particular person um, ready for whatever role he or she is going to take in the operation. And then it's also uh, a it's really a career building industry. It's a it's an industry where most if you ask most managers of a hotel, they started washing dishes or they started uh, behind the front desk um, taking, uh, you know, taking reservations. And so it's just a really wonderful industry, I think, for Detroit to have focused on. Uh, it is a growing industry here, uh, as we know. Um, and, uh, and I think the track record of our other properties um, kind of speaks for itself as it relates to uh, the benefit it, it has uh, for the community um, here. And uh, I will say that this project is, again, not unlike the other ones. We um, have a, a meeting schedule with, uh, with Dana Williams of Detroit at Work, and, uh, and we plan to, again, uh, employ some of the same practices that, that we uh, put into use for the other two properties uh, in getting, uh, in, in getting the, in this, this particular hotel staffed up in the beginning of 2024, because uh, it'll take us about 15 months to actually complete the project. Um, so yeah, just to, just to underscore the point um, uh, that that both David and Nevin were making, um, you know, th this is de definitely a but for test. Uh, that we are at the finish line on a very um, kind of you know long pre-development process, trying to keep lenders and investors at the table through a pandemic, uh, and now through the inflationary environment that we find ourselves in. Just just by quick quick uh, example, um, our construction costs now. Uh, are around $370 a square foot. Uh, that is 20% higher than, than they were before the pandemic. Um, and it's about 100% higher uh, than the costs that we spent on the David Whitney building. So um, we continue to, um, you know, construction costs continue to be a headwind for development here. Um, but, um, but, you know, we're confident that, uh, you know, because of the, de the de demand for hospitality, uh, that you know we're confident to move forward with the project, but but absolutely you know uh, as as Nevin pointed out, need this abatement to kind of just make the make the numbers pencil uh, to to get on the ground. Thank you. All right, Mr. Hitt, floor is yours, sir. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. This particular project is incentivized through the Commercial Rehabilitation Act, Public Act two ten of two thousand five which is a tax incentive for the rehabilitation of commercial property for the primary use of a commercial business or a multifamily residential facility. The property must be located within an established commercial rehabilitation district and exemptions are approved for a term of one to 10 years as determined by the local unit of government. The property taxes are based upon the prior year's taxable value. As indicated, the project developer and owner of the property well, the project developer of this property at 3448 Woodward is AC Detroit Holdings LLC. And they're now seeking the approval of the 210 certificate. The property consists of a vacant commercial property a parking lot with 0.364 acres of land. The developer plans to construct a, from a 153 to 154 room hotel with food and beverage service consisting of 100,000 153 square feet. The development is expected to increase the commercial activity in the area, prevent loss of employment, revitalize the urban area, and increase the number of visitors and residents to the city. The land will remain owned by SEC Woodward Elliott LLC 
and is subject to a ground lease to AC Detroit LLC. AC Detroit LLC will construct and own the new facility. And the applicant is current, currently in the process of amending the property address to 10 Elliott. And as Mr. Shoker has indicated, the DGC is recommending a full-term 10-year commercial rehabilitation certificate. The estimated total capital investment for this project is $49.7 million. It is also estimated that the completed project will create 35 full-time jobs and 100 temporary construction jobs. The total value of this 10-year commercial re rehabilitation tax savings is estimated to be $3,958,744. Based on the investment in jobs, this project is estimated to provide the city of Detroit a net benefit of $1,248,396, and all of the impacted taxing units a net benefit of $2,685,047 over the 10 years of the commercial rehabilitation abatement. Additionally, right now, the current taxes on this property as it exists on an annual basis are $4,058. Now the new annual taxes during the incentive period will increase to $137,942 on an annual basis. But finally, after the incentive expires, the taxes will rise to $506,711 on an annual basis. Finally, this statute provides the council the right to revoke the certificate in these set of circumstances. And the act allows the city, the legislative body, other qualified local unit of government may, by resolution, revoke the commercial rehabilitation exemption certificate of a facility if it finds that the completion of the rehabilitation of the qualified facility has not occurred with the time frame authorized by the legislative body in the exemption certificate or a duly authorized extension of that time or the holder of the qualified facility has not proceeded in good faith with the operation of the qualified facility in a manner consistent with the purposes of the act and the absence of circumstances that are beyond the control of the holder of the exemption certificate. And Mr. Chair, that completes my report and I thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Head. Colleagues, questions, concerns, comments, starting with member vice chair. Thank you, Mr. Chair, uh, and let me say I'm very supportive of this project. Uh, I think it's a good thing uh, building some hotels down there. I visited some AC hotels in my time. They're a little bit more modern and uh, I think brings a good look down there. Uh, a couple questions that I did have, though, and concerns. What, are we, what, what does it look like relative to parking uh, in that area? We always raise that issue. Uh, from the rendering, I don't see a parking structure. I could be mistaken. Uh, what are we? What are our ideas around parking? James, you want to take that? Sure. If I may, Mr. Chairman. Um, so the parking deck that Mr. Shoker uh, had referenced in the uh, in the in the aerial photograph was actually built um, by uh, a neighboring um, developer, 
Um, it happens to be actually the landlord that owns even even our site. Uh, and it was built um, uh, planning for this project. So all of our spaces will be inside that parking deck um, and, uh, and, and, and it's been planned for. And so there'll be no you know, pressure on parking in the neighborhood. Okay, and, uh, through you, Mr. Chair, just a follow up. Uh, wh what does parking look like? Is this going to be, uh, uh, will parking be free? Uh, for uh, folks who frequent the hotel? Or is there going to be a charge uh, for parking in that lot? Uh, what does that look like? Yeah, we'll have to work out the final details, um, but parking won't be free. Um, uh, you know, we'll, overnight guests will have the opportunity to either valet at our building uh, or self-park. Um, but then, um, but then people just coming to the building to, to visit, for instance, one of our food and beverage um, outlets would also have the opportunity to, to park there as well, but it, it wouldn't be free. I'm not sure exactly what the daily rate would is going to be a couple years from now, but there'll be a charge for it. It's also worth noting uh, through the chair uh, to the vice chair. It's also worth noting that uh, another benefit of hospitality as a development use is generally speaking, it has a lighter footprint uh, on communities uh, as it relates to parking. Uh, and that's simply a function of modern urban uh, hotel travelers often uh, uh, offering now getting to to the location uh, by Uber or Lyft or some other method. So we typically expect and can and plan for roughly 50 percent of our guests, overnight guests, uh, will come come with a car. And so it's just another I think one one of the other uh, benefits of, of the hospitality industry that it that it brings this activity without necessarily bringing undue undue pressure on on neighborhoods around them. And, and I would say that, you know, through you, Mr. Chair, I would say that we generally talk about uh, parking so much when we're dealing with affordable housing, not so uh, so much dealing with hotels. I do understand when you go to hotels, there are a charge to val there is a charge to valet, there is a charge overnight, and sometimes they work that out through vouchers or however they do, or the, or the hotel chooses to do that. But we're just curious about that parking and that structure. Uh, what that would look like for residents. I know we were talking about rates are probably going to be on average 225 a night, uh, which obviously uh, is a projected clientele uh, of folks who uh, are travelers or tourists, uh, as I can imagine. So just was, just was curious about that, even relative to the, uh, daily, the average daily rate uh, for the hotel. Uh, that I, I'm, I'm fine. Other than that, uh, Mr. Chair, thank you. Thank you, Member Vice Chair. Any additional questions? Member Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, not necessarily a question, just want to um, state that I am typically in support of hotel projects. Um, having spent a decade in the hospitality and community industry, I recognize the value that it brings as it relates to jobs for Detroiters. Um, it was indicated that, you know, there's opportunity for growth in the hospitality industry. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. Um, I do believe that there are a large number of Detroit residents that um, tend to work at our hotels that are in the city of Detroit. I do, I am um, a little hesitant in just thinking about the size of the hotel though and how much it will actually benefit the, um, our hotel, our hotel package as a whole in the city of Detroit as it relates to attracting uh, tourism and uh, convention business to the city. Um, but gen generally supportive because I recognize the value 
and the opportunities for jobs for Detroit residents. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Did you want any response to, to any of those statements? All right. Thank you. Uh, Member Vice Chair. Mr. Chair, and not to prolong, I know we've got a very lengthy agenda, but, I, but to Member Johnson's point, she brought up something that I was thinking as well relative to the questions. I know we were talking about 65% of the folks in the workforce that would be there are from Detroit. Uh, just a question, you know, and, and I know you mentioned Detroit at work, maybe playing some part and helping get folks employed, but have you thought about reaching out to organizations like Unite Here? Uh, that generally it's a union, obviously, but they employ pretty much or the members belong to uh, a lot of our hotels and industries and casinos down here. Uh, have we thought about that relative to employment, you know, saying, hey, listen, we're going to be opening up this hotel down here. Let's just, you know, we, we would like everyone to know that uh, maybe that helps increase uh, the number of folks who apply or, or try to uh, work at that hotel. Member Vice Chair, you are literally in my head because those were the questions that I was going to ask. I'm sorry, Mr. Chair. <laughs> it's all good. No, it's because I mean, and another question I would have is when we start talk, when we talk about the 65 percent of those employees, how many of those are post-construction, uh, pre-construction versus post-construction? Those are the long-term potential jobs and opportunity for uh, advancement. Well, Mr. Chairman, uh, actually, it's a great distinction to make because uh, I was trying to make it before, so I want to make sure it's, it's, it's pointed out that all of those jobs, all the 100 jobs I spoke about relating to the other two properties are post-construction. Those are permanent jobs. Those don't go away. Um, and so that's really the point that these, you know, it's not just a temporary job, and those are great, too, as it relates to construction, but these are really careers that are getting started here in the city of Detroit. Uh, and so and so that number since we've opened those two properties has only grown year over year, as you might imagine. Um, and so and then, uh, that, you know, touching on the 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 other question from uh, Council Member Durhall, um, we have met with Unite here, actually. Um, and uh, and 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 we are open to, to any avenue uh, to attract workers to, to these properties, as I'm sure you've heard. In, in other testimony, um, uh, uh, finding workers, especially over the last two years, has been a huge challenge. Uh, and we have actually um, had to limit the hours of some of our establishments because we don't have enough uh, qualified workers to, to fill the hours. Um, so we are open to any avenue uh, that, that, would, uh, that would, again, uh, direct a worker to one of our properties. Um, and, and again, just because it's just such a such kind of a, a good opportunity for folks in Detroit uh, in an industry that you know, as 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 Council Member uh, Johnson has has underscored, is growing and is a great job creator, permanent job creator. And, and uh, through you, Mr. Chair, I just want to say uh, that is great. I was already supportive of the project, project but I'm glad to hear uh, that you are even taking those additional steps. That are, to, to be honest, through some groups are not even uh, on their mind when they build some of these developments <laughs> relative to. Uh, housing hotels, they may not reach out to unions or, or anyone else to kind of bring uh, or connect folks uh, uh, to the hospitality industry and connect those jobs. So I really appreciate that. I would like to let you know uh, that. So uh, other than that, uh, I'm fine. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. We are running again uh, a bit long uh, in the agenda, but just a quick uh, question I have regarding the uh, a 3% excise tax. Uh, does this particular development um, is it subject to a 3% excise tax? And if so, 
Uh, is there an amount that is anticipated? I guess that would go to whoever can answer the question. I don't specifically know the answer to that question. I don't know if in the tax analysis, Mr. Shokard, was that discussed? I, if again, if it's if it's levied against hospitality properties in the city of Detroit, this would be no different. But I'm not sure how how that would work specifically. Mr. Shokar, Mr. Head, any insight? We can always ask offline, but I'm just asking now um, while we have everyone together. Mr. Chair, I don't, I don't have the answer to that question. I can follow up with you uh, via email. Okay. Thank you. Yes, I'll follow up, sir. All right. Thank you. We shall now go to public comment. Is there anyone from the public who would like to speak on this particular item? This is the 1035 public hearing line item number six. Please raise your hand now. If you'd like to speak on the 1035 public hearing, it's a presentation you just uh, reviewed, witnessed, watched. Uh, this is line item six. Please raise your hand now. Going once, going twice, going three times. Collection of public comments for the 1035 public hearing has now concluded. Mr. Singletary, how many callers do we have? Because it looks like no one here in the committee of the whole. How many callers do we have and who do we have first? Sir? Mr. Chair, we have three callers via Zoom, beginning with Ms. Karen Winston. All right. We're going to give everyone today one minute public comments for public hearings. We can get the clock up. All right, Ms. Karen Winston, the floor is yours. You have one minute. Yes. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Um, I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, catch the name of this new, uh, development we're, uh, we're talking about right now. And, uh, what type of, um, uh, did I hear him say entertainment? Did I hear him say something about entertainment, Banu, or, or just um, a hotel? And uh, parking. I was concerned about the parking as well. Uh, will there be ballet? You know, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we're gonna, of course, we're gonna make it uh, handicap uh, accessible, all the entrances. And I just want to hear if we have anything planned for that, and the rooms as well as the uh, access to the location. What about jobs for any people that may? Um, have disabilities. Do you have anything in mind um, about that? Thanks a lot. Thank you. Next caller, please. Next caller is over with. Over with. You have one minute. The floor is yours regarding the 1035 public hearing. Well, I echo the statements of uh, Ms. Hughes. She just spoke questions. All of those very pressing. But you raised one, um, James E. Tate, you raised one about the excise tax. Now, I heard, you know, the eloquence speak about what uh, this project entails and what's going forward in the um, permanent job creations. But that excise tax and the amount of money that it would be anticipated to be generated would be something that Mr. Shakur and Mr. Head would most definitely have to have consider going through with this project. But they both seem stumped when you ask that question. Now, Mr. Van Dyke, I can understand him not actually being up to speed on that. But those two individuals who should surely, I mean, I mean, surely should have considered that, considering that um, proposal, the development of this magnitude and what it's supposed to be bringing to the city. Wouldn't an excise tax and that 3% capture be uh, something that would be uh, prominent in their discussions? Just answering. Thank you. Next caller, please. Next and final caller is Ms. Carol Hughes. 
Carol Hughes, thank you for joining us. You have one minute regarding the, the uh, line item six, the 1035 public hearing. Um, Carolyn Hughes, may I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, council members and panel. I just had a question about the prior um, experience that gentlemen have had in the city of Detroit. Could you please give us like the, the average salary of the people that you're hiring? What is the average salary that they're making um, and the minimum salary that they make? So let's go maximum salary, minimum salary or average salary. But could you tell us something about the structure of how these jobs will be paid thank you thank you and i believe that takes us to the end of our public comment so to the panelists those who are participating uh we had a couple of questions there give you an opportunity to briefly respond to them uh i believe one of the responses is that one of the questions was what's the name of this facility so we'll start there so yeah th this will be the ac marriott detroit hotel okay you, you all can just answer the questions that were asked. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> let, me, let me fire go, up. Go ahead. Go ahead, James. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, no entertainment per se. I think that was one of the questions. Uh, this is uh, this is a 154-key hotel. Uh, it will be ADA accessible, um, both uh, the lobby areas and, and the rooms, or the, there will be a number of rooms that are, are handicap accessible. Um, and, um, yeah, no entertainment. Uh, there is a, a, um, lobby bar planned for the first floor, but it's just to serve as kind of a lobby bar. Um, the, the, the wage rates is that, you know, as you might imagine, have, have gone out cut a bit in the last couple of years. I'm just looking at the projection for this hotel. I'm kind of the entry level positions here are going to start at 17 or $18 an hour. Um, and it goes all the way through the general manager making $130,000 a year. So, so we, you know, again, talking about there, there are opportunities at every kind of wage scale and opportunities to move within, the, you know, the wage scales, uh, even at one facility. This is really, you know, we talk about every time we open a hotel, it's really starting a new business uh, as well as a construction project. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, colleagues, we've heard the Q&A. We have the presentation, uh, public comment as well. Is there a motion on the floor? Uh, yes, Mr. Chair, I move that we take line item six and send to formal uh, for a recommendation, with a recommendation, excuse me, to approve. Thank you. There's a motion to send line item six to formal with a recommendation to approve. Any objections? Seeing none, that action shall be taken. Thank you. Uh, this now closes out our 1035 public hearing. Uh, we're going to jump Thank you. back. You're very welcome. We're going to jump back into the uh, bulk of the agenda, and let's go to line item 7.3, as well as, I believe that's 8.12. We can take those two together, please, colleagues. So moved and moved for discussion, Mr. Chair. Move to discuss. Line items 7.3 and 8.12. Uh, both of these items are regarding the request for a tiny homes shelter. Uh, colleagues, uh, this item is been before us i'm not sure if you have if you have any additional questions concerns regarding these particular items uh, line item 7.3 again and line item 8.12 any discussion and or uh, approval mr chair uh there we go mr gulak uh good afternoon mr chair yeah chris gulak lpd staff um these two line items are um, kind of go together and it's a rezoning 
on the east side, and this is to set, consider setting the hearing on next Tuesday. I have a few slides if you want me to do a quick overview of the two requests, or I can try to answer any questions. I think we'll go to the, the Q&A, unless uh, colleagues have any objection to that. Okay. Colleagues, any questions, uh, concerns, comments regarding line item 8.12 uh, or line item 7.3? Member Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I just wanted to um, ask Mr. Gulak if he could uh, maybe speak to one of the general public comments, I believe, that was relative to a kitchen, um, and I believe it was uh, a shower or something to that effect. Um, I know that that CPC, I believe, is requiring certain things within the quote-unquote shelters um, or in the tiny homes. Um, but can you elaborate on that? I don't believe that there's been any discussion about the other facility that is part of this quote-unquote campus. Uh, yes, through the chair, uh, I can try to give a, a quick background and then I'll try to answer the question more directly. Um, this is a Detroit-based developer uh, wants to provide services to the homeless. Um, they, there's a, a large church on the location. They want to they bought the church, they want to renovate it to provide support services. And then the, the tiny home shelter would be just next to the church on currently on vacant land. Um, they're proposing, um, I believe, 12 tiny home shelters. Um, and we have, and, and we can show the site plan at the public hearing, of course. Um, also, next to the tiny homes would be a, a community building for the residents. And that would, that would have partly be occupied by a caretaker who would be there 24-7. And next to the caretaker quarters would be a common kitchen area and restroom facilities. Um, but also next to the tiny homes, they're proposing a um, bathroom facility you know, next to the tiny homes. Now, when the commission had their public hearing, uh, they debated this issue as well. And the commission recommended uh, that part of the rezoning mandate that each of the tiny homes have their own sink and toilet facility. Uh, so that's one recommendation that the council could consider at the public hearing. Um, so the developer is trying to find funding. It would it would add a lot of cost to the proposal. So they're trying to find funding now to put uh, toilet facilities and sink in each of the tiny homes. Uh, but if if that's not required by council, then they would propose a um, restroom facility adjacent to the tiny home village. And then one within the common area where they have the kitchen area. So um, the commissioners did recommend each unit have a, a toilet facility at this time, but that's up for council to decide. Uh, when you review this proposal, you can obviously say yes, no, or yes with conditions. And, and the commission recommended, I think, eight conditions, and the council can review those, you know, when you have the public hearing. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, and I absolutely support that um, recommendation by the City Planning Commission to ensure they have that, the plumbing inside of the, those those tiny homes. I'm one council member. Um, as far as it, it relates to the um, turnover, if you will, I thought I read something that, that indicated that folks can stay in the tiny homes in as long as they would like. Is, is that, am I correct in, in, in reading that? Typically, when we talk about shelters, there's at least some type of movement that takes place, um, which will allow for someone uh, else who's in need to to utilize those services. Um, 
Am I reading that incorrectly for whoever has that information? Mr. Chair, I can try to answer that. Um, yeah, as, it, as I uh, wanted to clarify, the developers, uh, in terms of national debate and local debate, some people don't like the tiny home shelter, some do. Um, the developers trying to pro provide this as an option for the homeless who refuse or can't go into congregate temporary shelters. Um, so they're they're proposing to provide staff and a support system for the residents. And, and you're correct, I believe the, the residents could stay there as long as needed until they're ready to find uh, permanent housing. Uh, but I think they have an, an, based on their national research, they have an, you know, an average stay of maybe six months, but you're right. They would work with the residents to um, get the support they need to be able to find permanent housing, but there's not a ticking clock, I don't think, on the residents. So they would work with them to try to get them to be self-sufficient and ready to go to permanent housing. Okay. And then the last thing I have uh, is, is briefly the support from the community. Uh, has there been any uh, engagement at this point? If so, uh, what does that look like? Um, and, and not just those who support, but have there been some who uh, do not support, who, who are in opposition? If so, what are sure. the concerns? Uh, Mr. I'll try to answer that. Yeah, the, the developer has been working on this for a while. They did have a you know, a Zoom community meeting last January, the commission usually re strongly encourages that. And they had quite a bit of turnout. Um, this area, it was kind of mixed. I think this area is a lot of vacant land, a lot of abandonment. And so some folks on that Zoom call and at the and the commission's had two public hearings on this as well, because it's kind of the plan has been modified over time. Um, so the neighborhood meeting and the um, public hearings uh, you know, some residents there say, yes, we welcome this. There's a lot of vacant land. We need more people in the neighborhood. Um, some folks who don't live adjacent or live in the area said, we support this, but good luck because this is a very difficult population to deal with. Uh, you know, um, you know, want to make sure they have this group has the skills to work with this population. So uh, there hasn't been a lot of strong opposition based on commissions, public hearings, but there has been questions. So, so some groups in the neighborhood welcome um, development. Um, and then others question, you know, do you have the skills to work with this um, population? So. Okay, thank you. Uh, colleagues, uh, if, is there a motion for line items 7.3 as well as line item 8.12? Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. I first move that we receive and file line item 7.3. There's a motion to receive and file line item 7.3. Any objection? Seeing none, that action shall be taken. And next, Mr. Chair, I move uh, for line item 8.12 uh, to send to formal for the introduction and setting of a public hearing. There's a motion. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Todd. I'm sorry, again, consistent with Mr. Gulak's presentation, I believe both items, again, each represent separate ordinances for the two components. So both actually need to be moved, uh, would need to be moved uh, to formal for introduction. I don't see a, a, um, a ordinance attached to 7.3. If I can defer to Mr. Gulak. Gulak. Yeah, uh, Mr. Chair, I would have to, yeah, both should have reports and ordinances, and we can double check um, to make sure that the clerk has those as part of the applications. Okay. 
I'll uh, shift gears to uh, Mr. Singletary, who manages this uh, committee extremely well. Sir? Yes, uh, through the chair, um, my, in conversations with Mr. Gulak last week, uh, he let me know that it was uh, accidentally missed that the ordinance was not attached to line item, pardon me? 7.3. 7.3. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, so uh, in doing so, it was brought back this week with the attached ordinance. There we go, Member Vice Chair. So both of them have uh, ordinances attached to them, but also reports as well. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. So I, I, I revoke my previous motion uh, and move to send line item 7.3 to formal for the introduction. Uh, I know, Dr. Powers, I didn't re we didn't reconsider. Oh, that, that's, that's correct. correct. We don't, we don't have, have revoke. revoke. Pardon my language, Dr. Powers. I knew she was going to be here today. Uh, I move to reconsider uh, the vote for line item 7.3. As a motion to reconsider the vote for line item 7.3, any objection? That action shall be taken. Is there a motion for line item 7.3? Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, I move that we take line item 7.3. Excuse me. Uh-oh. No, Excuse have, me. It has to fail. That's where we got to revote. Right, right. right. You have, you have to vote on the receiving file and make, make it fail. My apologies. Colleagues, is there a motion to uh, receive and file the report for line item 7.3? So moved. Objection. <laughs> There's a motion. Any objections? Objection. 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 Uh, will the clerk so note that there has been a rejection from all three members of the committee? So noted. Thank you. All right, that item fails. Colleague, is there a motion for line item 7.3? Yes, sir, Mr. Chair. I move to take line item 7.3 and send to formal for the introduction and setting of a public hearing. There's a motion to send line item 7.3 to formal uh, to set a, to, to introduce and to set a public hearing. Any objection? Seeing none, those actions shall be taken. Uh, there's also a report there in uh, line item 7.3, though. I move to send the report. Of I'm sorry. I think we receive and file it. Do we, uh, now can we receive and file the report? Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you, can you can receive and file, and file the report part, part of this line item, item. yes, I believe. Because yeah, it was a twofer. And this, and this CPC has something else to Mr. Chair? Mr. Todd. Certainly. Uh, while, uh, as the parliamentarian has indicated, you can, uh, customarily the report has sort of been left live uh, charting along with the ordinance gotcha. as it also it, as it substantiates the recommendation from the commission. So that has not necessarily been a practice, but uh, as, as the parliamentarian said, you could, but generally it just tracks with the ordinance. All right. So... My apologies for leading us down that road, <laughs> I, Vice Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I don't, I don't really blame you, but so because my question is, if we are going to send this to formal, there was really no need to, or if we're going to receive and file seven point three, there was no need to reconsider. So, I guess my question is, are we sending now? Are we going to receive and file this? Is that the recommendation from CPC, or the recommendation is to send this to formal along with the ordinance? Mr. Todd? 
Certainly. The action that you have taken, I believe, is accurate. You did not make a distinction uh, with regard to report and ordinance when the second motion was made to send to formal for introduction. That would, again, would be the standard practice. And yes, that is what we are recommending, that you, just, that you would send the matter to formal for introduction and the setting of a public hearing. No need to separate the report from the ordinance. Okay, thank you. I believe we just so now we're on 8.12 uh, yes. now so I move to send line item 8.12 to formal for the introduction and setting of a public hearing there's a motion to send line item 8.12 to formal to, for introduction and setting of a public hearing any objection seeing none those actions shall be taken thank you colleagues Line on the 7.5 status of Council President Pro Tem James Tate submitting memorandum relative to employment data for tax abatement approved projects. Uh, colleagues, is there a motion to uh, bring this line item back in uh, four weeks? So uh, once I reviewed it, I had a few more questions regarding it. I think it's going to take some more time to get those answers. Thank you. There's a motion to bring back line item 7.5 in four weeks. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Also, thank those who helped put together this the information in line item 7.5. Line item 7.6, status of council member Angela Whitfield Calloway submitting memorandum relative to property inventory. Uh, we did have an opportunity to speak to member Calloway's office, and they are requesting a receive and file. Is there a motion? So moved. There's a motion to receive and file line item 7.6. Seeing no objections. That action shall be taken. Line item 7.7, .7, status of Council Member Angela Whitfield Calloway submitting memorandum relative to statement on developer accountability and enforcement. We had an opportunity to speak with Member Calloway's office, and they're requesting a one-week bring back on this item. Colleagues, is there a motion? A move to bring back line item 7.7 .7 in one week. There's a motion to bring back line item 7.7 .7 in one week. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.8, status of Legislative Policy Division. Oh, we've touched that one already. Let's drop to 7.9. Line item 7.9, status of Council President Mary Sheffield submitting memorandum relative to community lot endorsement. Uh, we did have an opportunity to speak to Council President's office, and they are requesting a receive and file on this item. Colleagues, is there a motion? Move to receive and file line item 7.9. There's a motion to receive and file line item 7.9. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.10, status of Planning and Development Department submitting resolution authorization for property sale at 6355. 6361, 6365, 6369, 6421, and 6427 Theodore. Uh, we did have an opportunity to speak with HRD, and they are requesting for this line item to be removed from the agenda. Colleagues, is there a motion? Move to remove line item 7.10 from today's agenda. There's a motion to remove line item 7.10 from the agenda. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.11, status of Council President Mary Sheffield submitting memorandum relative to resolution urging the adoption of local rent control. Uh, we are awaiting a response from Council President's office on this particular item. Uh, so we want to bring this line item back uh, in one week to allow for that to take place. Colleagues, is there a motion? Move to bring back line item 7.11 in one week. 
There's a motion to bring back line item 7.11 in one week. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.12, status of Council Member Scott Benson submitting memorandum relative to zoning ordinance text amendment hookah lounges. Uh, we did have an opportunity to speak with parties who are helping assist with this particular item. It has been here for some time, but they are requesting a uh, four-week bring back on this item. Colleagues, is there a motion? Move to bring back line item 7.12 in four weeks. There's a motion to bring back line item 7.12 to uh, bring back line item 7.12 in four weeks. See no objections. That action shall be taken. On to new business, Office of Contracting and Procurement. Colleagues, if we can please take line items 8.1, 8.3, 8.7, 8.8, and 8.9 uh, together, all of these items are regarding the Bridging Neighborhoods Program. Is there a motion to discuss and or approve? Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, move to discuss. There's a motion to discuss. Member Vice Chair. I don't have any further questions. I've obviously reviewed these, uh, and we've had many of them obviously come through this committee. Uh, I don't know if any other members have questions. Uh, if not, I'm ready to proceed with a motion. Uh, I've seen this, uh, these items and reviewed them, had no questions. Got mine answered earlier. Okay. Uh, so with that, Mr. Chair, I move that we take line items 8.1, 8.3, 8 8.7, 8.8, and I believe it was 8.9 and send to formal with a recommendation to approve. Thank you. There's a motion to uh, send line items uh, 8.1, 8.3, 8.7, 8.8, and 8.9 to formal with a recommendation to approve. Any objection? Seeing none, those actions shall be taken. Line item 8.2. You can drop down. Uh, this submitting resolution authorization for contract number 6004055- a1, this is 100% ARPA funding to provide an amendment to the scope for eviction protection canvassing services. Uh, colleagues, we did have an opportunity to speak with the Office of Contract and Procurement, and they did request a one-week bring back on this particular item. Is there a motion? Move to bring back in one week. Thank you. There's a motion to bring back line item 8.2 in one week. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Let's go to line item 8.4. Line item 8.4, uh, colleagues, if we can take line items 8.4 and 8.6 together, please. Uh, both of these are contracts uh, regarding services for those who are, uh, at this moment, homeless. Uh, so moved. Thank you. Line item 8.4, contract number 6004848. 100% uh, grant funding to provide outreach and engagement services to in individuals uh, experiencing homelessness. Uh, we drop down to 8.6, and it is contract number 6004096-A2, 100% grant funding, amendment number two, to provide extension of time and increase of funds for shelter operation and support families and individuals experiencing homelessness. Is there a motion, again, to discuss and or approve? Discussion. With discussion, Member Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Just um, noticing on line item 8.4, um, not exactly sure if there's a request for an increase in funds. Okay. I believe we're going to be joining uh, Ms. Tara Linzer 
as well as Richard Gold has information on these items. When you see yourself on the screen, please introduce yourself for the record. Good morning, Council. My name is Tara Lindsner. I'm the Homelessness Solutions Director in HRD. I don't know if you had an opportunity to hear the question. If not, we can have it repeated for response. Sure. Through the chair. So for 8.4, this is not an increase in funds. This is just for um, a regular, this is the first, this is the first award for this contract. Got it. Thank Did you. that answer the question? It, it does. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. My, my question for line item 8.4, I see that it, it expires at the uh, end of this year. Uh, my question is, do we, are these ongoing contracts that we have? Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Line item 8.6, that's the one I was looking at. I'm looking at the sure. uh, That one expires sure. April 30th, uh, 2023. Uh, what's anticipated uh, in terms of uh, the this this particular function still taking place uh, after this particular contract expires? Sure, through the chair. So this was a shelter that was brought online when the pandemic first started. Um, we have kept this shelter in operation um, since that time, and uh, we were originally planning on ramping down this shelter um, in the fall. However, given uh, given the winter months, um, we were able to secure funding um, to bring to extend the contract through the end of April. And so, at this point, we, um, if the body approves this extension, we um, are starting the the ramp down process to um, help exit those households that are in that shelter, so that they have a permanent destination um, to go to by the end of April, and so that shelter will actually close. Thank you. Colleagues, uh, any further on 8.4 and 8.6? Well, sir, Mr. Chair, move that we take line items 8.4 and 8.6 and send to formal with the recommendation to approve. There's a motion to send line items 8.4 and 8.6 to formal with a recommendation to approve. Seeing no objections, those actions shall be taken. Line on 8.5, submitting resolution authorization for contract number 6004586-A. A, the letter A, one, 100% uh, ARPA funding, amendment number one, to provide an increase of funds for additional roof replacements and related construction services. Colleagues, is there a motion to approve and or discuss? Thank you, Mr. Chair. I move that we send to formal with a recommendation to approve. There's a motion to send line item 8.5 to formal with a recommendation to approve. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Colleagues, let's drop down to line item 8.10. 8.10. Line item 8.10, Office of Grants, excuse me, Office of the Chief Financial Officer, Office of Development and Grants, submitting resolution authorization uh, to submit grant application to the Michigan State Historic Preservation Office for fiscal year 2023 certified local government grant. Is there a motion to discuss and or approve? Move to send to uh, formal with the recommendation to approve line item 8.10. There's a motion to send line item 8.10 to formal with a recommendation, <clears throat> excuse me, with a recommendation to approve. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.11, submitting resolution authorization 
2023-2024 Community Development Block Grant Neighborhood Opportunity Fund Program Schedule and Hearing Appeals Notice. Colleagues, is there a motion to discuss and or approve? I move to discuss. Uh, Member Vice Chair. Uh, this is very customary. As we know, our CDBG hearings will be coming up. We're around budget season, so uh, pretty, pretty self-explanatory for uh, this line item. So I move to send line item 8.11 to formal with a recommendation to approve. There's a motion to send line item 8.11 to formal with a recommendation to approve. Seeing no objections, an action shall be taken. Uh, we have already dealt with line item 8.12, so let's go to line item 8.13. Uh, submitting report uh, and proposed ordinance to amend Chapter 50 of the 2019 Detroit City Code Zoning by amending Article 17, Zoning District Maps, Section 50-17-4, District Map Number 3, to revise the existing R2, uh, two-family residential district zoning classification to the SD1, which is the Special Development District small-scale mixed-use zoning classification for the properties commonly known as 3426, 3432, 3436, and 3442 Cochran Street, as well as 1581 and 1589 Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Colleagues, is there a motion to approve and or uh, to set an introduction and send for approval for introduction and setting of public hearing. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I move to send to formal for the introduction and setting of a public hearing. There's a motion to uh, send line item 18 point, excuse me, 8.13 to formal uh, for introduction and the setting of a public hearing. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Thank you. Line item 8.14, submitting resolution authorization. This is for the revisions to the previous awards of annual home and CDBG ARPA for Anchor at Mariner's End, Left Field, and Brush and Watson. Colleagues, is there a motion to discuss and or approve? I uh, move to send line item 8.14 to, uh, to formal with the recommendation to approve. There's a motion to send line item 8.14 to formal with a recommendation to approve. Seeing no objections, this action, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.15, Historic Designation Advisory Board, submitting resolution authorization for an extension of study period for the proposed Crans Woods Sojourner Truth Homes Local Historic District. Is there a motion to discuss and or approve? Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. I've had the opportunity to review this. Uh, I know members have as well. So I move to send a formal uh, with a recommendation to approve line item 8.15. There's a motion to send line item 8.14 to form, excuse me, 8.15 to formal with a recommendation to approve. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.16, submitting resolution authorization for the transfer of 8374 Homer to the Detroit Land Bank Authority as part of a bridging neighborhoods program. Is there a motion to discuss, please? So moved, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Uh, if we can have someone from HRD, uh, bridging neighborhoods, explain why the uh, request for this particular property. Uh, 
I guess through the chair, um, the work that we do with optional housing relocation. Please introduce yourself for the record, sir. Sorry. Okay. Uh, through the chair, Rico Raza, director of Bridging Neighborhoods. Good afternoon. And uh, through the work that we're doing with optional housing relocation with the Delray uh, community, a uh, lot of lot of our um, participants are looking to move to Southwest Detroit. It's been really tough trying to find inventory over the last year. Uh, we had the opportunity uh, to get a few ROR homes in neighborhoods that um, a lot of our families are looking to move to. Homer Street is in the Springwells, Southwest Detroit community. And um, so it was purchased through the city and um, we work primarily with land bank properties. So we are looking to uh, move it from PDD to the Detroit land bank ownership so that we can move it in our pipeline uh, to renovate and offer to a family in Delray. Thank you so much. Colleagues, is there a motion for line item 8.16 unless there's any additional questions? Member Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I just briefly want to understand whether or not there is a time frame, a deadline for residents to identify um, whether or not they'd like to seek alternate housing. Mr. Razo. Through the chair, uh, we currently don't have a, a hard deadline, but I will tell you as it stands right now, we have six um, participants that are uh, fully eligible for home swap. So as it stands right now, we have six. And a lot of the inventory, again, that we currently have um, is not in the greater Southwest Detroit area where a lot of families want to move. We're looking at inventory that may meet those needs um, in addition to trying to find properties that, you know, maybe uh, more than three bedrooms and um, a larger square footage uh, of a footprint of a house. So that's where we're at right now. I think we're um, trying to ask a lot of those questions and figure out, you know, if there may be an application deadline. But uh, as of today, we do not have one. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Any further for line item 8.16? Seeing none, colleagues, is there a motion? I move to take line item 8.16 and send to formal with the recommendation to approve. There's a motion to send line item 8.16 to form with a recommendation to approve. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Thank you. Line item 8.17, miscellaneous. Council member Gabriela Santiago Romero submitting memorandum relative to the status update on the properties located at 3600 and 3564 Toledo. Uh, as we did have an opportunity, well, colleagues, is there a motion to refer uh, this line item to be seed and bring back in two weeks. So moved. Seeing no objections, we should refer line item 8.17 to be seed and bring it back in two weeks. Those actions shall be taken. Thank you. Line item 8.18 and line item 8.20, colleagues, if we can take those together, please. Uh, line item 8.18, submitting memorandum. This is, again, from uh, Council President Mary Sheffield. Uh, submitting memorandum relative to the downtown, de <clears throat> excuse me, downtown development authority, DDA report, uh, as well as line item 8.20 is Council President Mary Sheffield submitting memorandum relative to community lot endorsement uh, resolution. Colleagues, is there a motion to refer uh, these items to Legislative Policy Division? So moved. There's a motion to refer both items to Legislative Policy Division. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. 
uh, colleagues, is there a motion to bring back line item 8.18 in four months following the uh, report request? Us. So we referred it and we're giving it four months. I, I neglected to add the four month bring back for 8.18. So moved. As a motion to bring back line item 8.18 in four months. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.19, Council President Mary Sheffield submitting memorandum relative to the Income Protection Ordinance. Uh, is there a motion to refer line item 8.19 to LPD? So moved. Seeing no objections, that action shall be taken. Not sure how long it's going to take them to get back to us, but we'll make sure we watch it. And line item 8.21, Council Member Coleman A. Young II submitting memorandum relative to request for information uh, regarding affordable housing units constructed, available, and the number occupied by AMI for each unit. Colleagues, is there a motion to refer this item to uh, HRD and bring back in two weeks? So moved. Seeing no objections, we shall refer line item 8.21 to four, to HRD and bring back in two weeks. Whew. All right. Got us through. Um, thank you, colleagues, for this. Uh, now takes us to member reports. Member Vice Chair. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. I'll just be very brief. Uh, I wanted to report, obviously, had the uh, opportunity to attend uh, the State of the State last night uh, to hear our address uh, from Governor Whitmer. Uh, looking forward uh, to having further discussions as we, this is the Planning and Economic Development Committee of how we can advance Detroit forward, uh, even talks uh, relative to a line item earlier for our libraries. Uh, looking forward to having those discussions with the, their uh, administration uh, as well as other uh, legislators in Lansing uh, to help us solve some issues here. So it's a good speech. Uh, glad to be there uh, and look forward to the partnership. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Member Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chair. No report for me. Thank you, ma'am. And for me, uh, we will be having our next District 1 monthly meeting this Saturday at 10 a.m. Uh, at the Charles J. Edison Center, located at 2444 West Seven Mile Road. That's between uh, Telegraph and uh, Grand River. Uh, we will have presentations on the current uh, uh, marijuana licensing in the city of Detroit by Homegrown Detroit, which is located in Creo. We will also have, uh, we'll be joined by Council President Sheffield, who will discuss the Reparations Task Force uh, and its next moves. We'll also have a presentation by the developers at the Gateway Industrial Center, that huge structure located at I-96 and the Southfield Freeway. And we also have a very special young man that we're going to be um, showing a whole lot of love to in our D1 Youth Spotlight. Uh, that, again, is on Saturday at 10 a.m. Uh, at the Charles J. Edison Center. If you have any questions or need any additional information, please call our office at 313-224-1027. And that's all I have. Colleagues, thank you again for your patience and uh, allowing me to make the mistakes that I made today. And We still ended up getting out of here at 1 o'clock. <laughs> is there a motion to, before we do that, Mr. Singletary? Apologies, Mr. Chair. Um, just when looking at 8.19 and 8.20, there was just the, refer, uh, the reference to LPD, but not a bring back recommendation. For which ones again, sir? 
Mr. Chair, for 8.19 and 8.20. Okay, is there a motion for line, for line items 8.19 and 8.20 to bring back in uh, two weeks? So, so moved, Mr. Chair. Seeing no objections, we shall bring back line. Thank you, Mr. Singletary. We shall bring back line items 8.19 and 8.20 in two weeks. Seeing no objections, those actions shall be taken. Is there a motion to adjourn? So moved, Mr. Chair. Seeing no objections, we shall adjourn this meeting. Everyone be safe, be well. God bless. This meeting is now adjourned.